Thank you very much for reading, Olaf. Um, we were saying this morning that um, this evening doing something slightly different uh, to our normal kind of repertoire here, um, in as much as the sort of the direction changes, if you like. Normally, we start with a passage from the Bible, and then we look at it together and think, well, what does this um, communicate to us about the living of life? Um, so we're beginning from the Bible, moving to life. Um, sometimes it's helpful just to, to reverse that, work the other way around, uh, not all the time, but every now and again, and begin, as it were, with something uh, that we're aware of in life, um, and then go from there to the Bible and say, what has the Bible got to say about this issue? Um, and that's what this little series does as we think um, about um, a number of things that trouble us. Um, and the first of those tonight is the experience of, of anxiety. Um, um, let's, I, I'm conscious of lots of things as we come to this. Um, that, it's a, that it's a big topic. Um, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Um, that I'll probably end up speaking for, for slightly longer than um, we sometimes do um, in order to try and cover that material. Uh, so prepare yourself for that. Um, um, also that um, we will try and at the end uh, carve out a little bit of time for some, some sort of thinking comments uh, together, which again we don't always do on a Sunday, um, but I think it might be good tonight. So you might prepare yourself for that as well. Um, towards the end. Shall I, can I pray for us um, as, we, as we come to this? Uh, Father God, we, uh, we do want to think wisely and well uh, about things that are a sensitive territory for many of us um, over issues that uh, we have struggled with, uh, we know others uh, who struggle with, uh, and where uh, in speaking together in a, in a large group, so easy to um, to, to misstep, uh, to, to speak in generalizations that, that feel clumsy um, to um, an individual's experience. So please, uh, please keep me from that, uh, guard us against that. Uh, but Father, help us also to be excited, to, to hear what it is that you have to say uh, to us uh, in our worries and our anxieties, um, that we might be live lives that are more pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so anxiety. Um, let's think, think in broad terms, first of all. Uh, anxiety sort of, kind of has a connection with the idea of stress, doesn't it? Um, and it's worth remembering right at the outset that stress isn't all bad. Um, Perhaps you've um, seen before this sort of bell-shaped curve, uh, which is fairly classic, linking stress and performance. Um, and what this is showing is sort of stress or arousal along the, um, uh, the, the x-axis on the bottom um, and performance uh, on the y-axis. And, and what this is reminding us is that if our level of, of kind of arousal is very, very low, you know, we're too chilled, too laid back, um, then our performance suffers. Um, but similarly, if we get too hyped, um, too stressed, um, then again our performance suffers um, at either end of that bell-shaped curve. And, and there's a sort of fairly large sort of sweet spot in the middle where we feel sufficiently kind of alert um, and aroused by things um, in order to perform well. 
uh, without it tipping us um, into negative um, performance. Now, tonight we're going to be thinking particularly about the, um, about the, the right-hand side of, um, uh, of this graph. I'm thinking particularly about where anxiety tips into much more problematic zones. Um, and uh, it, it happens in all sorts of ways. Um, and in, in a ridiculously sort of abbreviated way, let me, uh, let me suggest to you some of the ways that that can happen uh, with five I imaginary people. Um, begin with, with Jill, uh, who has a very specific fear, uh, triggered by a very specific thing. Um, in her case, a fear of needles. Um, it's a fear that no one knows about because it just seems silly to be frightened of needles. Um, and mostly, she's got through life without it really causing her any bother at all. Until more recently, uh, when she started dating, and when now, nine months down the line, the, the possibility, hasn't been mentioned yet, but the possibility at least of, of marriage might be coming over the horizon. Um, and she's begun to think, and, and with the possibility of marriage comes the possibility of children. With the possibility of children comes the possibility of medical intervention. And with the possibility of medical intervention comes the possibility of needles. And it's all getting a little bit scary. And she can't quite believe it, but she's beginning to wonder whether she might pull back from this relationship and end it, uh, because the fear uh, is beginning to become too troubling. Then there's Harry, whose anxiety expresses itself in a, in a kind of general shyness. Uh, he hates entering rooms full of people, hates speaking to shop assistants, especially when he's got to go back and complain. Any number of products uh, have ended up in the bin rather than return to a shop because it was just a bit too scary uh, to go back and make the complaint and return the article. But uh, worst of all for Harry is speaking in public. Uh, and that has really tipped into another league recently after a promotion at work, and now he's expected to give presentations. At the first presentation, he was so nervous he could barely speak. And though his boss afterwards tried to be encouraged, Harry knew that it had been a complete disaster. Uh, when the time for the second presentation at work came round, he was so full of anxiety, he was almost sick that morning, uh, didn't go into work, uh, and just called in ill. He has no idea what's going to happen to his job next. Then Irina, whose anxiety has a, a tendency every now and again to morph into panic. It hasn't happened many times in her life, but the few occasions when it has happened has been so intense so awful, uh, the pounding heart, the, the, the dripping in sweat, the, the feeling as if she was about to die, uh, that it was unbearable, and she can't bear the thought of it happening again. She's convinced that if it, if it happens again, she, she, she's going to completely embarrass herself, scream out loud, uh, wet herself, do something worse, and it's just overwhelming. So she avoids every context now that could trigger that kind of anxiety, panic reaction. Public transport, crowds, lifts. But the more she avoids those things, the worse it seems to be getting. And smaller and smaller triggers are provoking her fears. 
uh, than Jay, who ought to be a, a sort of a proud father with a recently born daughter and thrilled at this new stage of life. Uh, but instead, a, a crazy thought has been entering his mind. The mad idea that he might abuse his own daughter. It's the last thing he wants to do. It sort of appalls him even to think about it. But the thought won't stop popping into his head. What if I did? How can I be sure that I won't? And the more he tries to argue it out of his head, uh, the more it seems to return. So much so that now he avoids being left alone with his daughter. Because the experience of wondering, did I? Could, could I be sure that I haven't abused my own child? Well, he'd do anything to avoid that. It's such a horrible experience. And what makes it worse is the whole thing feels so shameful, so foolish, so embarrassing, that he can't bring himself to mention it to anyone. Even his wife doesn't know because he can't think how he could explain such a thing to her. And he's so alone in the fear. Uh, and finally, Kristen, whose anxiety um, is focused around a particular incident from the past, a terrible car accident, which, while leaving her unscathed, uh, involved the death of people in cars around her. And now she suffers flashbacks especially at night when trying to sleep. Driving is difficult for her now. She hasn't driven on a motorway for more than two years. Anxiety comes in many different forms. I, I've given you five little, tiny, brief, um, inadequate pen portraits of some forms of anxiety that might figure at the slightly more severe end. Um, and of course there would be milder versions of the ones I've described and there would be other forms of anxiety uh, as well. But in a sense as we begin to think about this, the, the first question to ask is, well, is anxiety and worry an obviously bad thing? Should we expect to worry a bit? Is it, is it normal to worry, or should worry be set aside? What, what should be a Christian perspective on the experience of worry and anxiety? Uh, years ago, um, a lot of years ago actually, I was, at a, I was at a conference when somebody was speaking on this passage, Luke 12. Um, and um, uh, these, these opening verses, uh, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry. And um, what, what the speaker said was, um, I'd love you to, to put up your hand. I, I won't, you don't have to play, okay? You don't have to play. He made us play, but you don't have to. Um, he said, I'd love you to put up your hand if, if you've worried in the past week. And, you know, pretty much all of us, you know, sort of a hand in the air, kind of little smiles, little sheepish, you know. Yeah, a bit of a worrier. It's me. Um, and he said, thank you very much. And he said, now, would you put your hand in the air if you've stolen something in the last week? And there's a sort of, sort of, sort of awkward silence, and um, everyone's looking around. And there were one or two people, I guess, who put their hands up because they weren't concentrating. I don't know. Um, or, or, or maybe they were kind of, you know, sort of a recent bank robber or something. I don't know. Anyway, so, so that's the way it went. Um, and then he said, it's funny that, isn't it? Isn't that funny? 
He said, because the Bible is very clear. He says, just as the Bible says, do not steal, the Bible says, do not worry. So how come we are relaxed about worrying um, and we're very embarrassed about stealing? He said, we should be equally ashamed of both. Now, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? Um, actually, have a think about that. Uh, talk to a person, talk to someone, or think on your own, or talk to someone nearby. Do you, do you agree uh, with that speaker from the past? If not, why not? Just have a little, little think about that for a moment uh, with somebody nearby or on your own. Okay, now, um, I, I, I don't know where your thinking has taken you, and I, I'm not on this occasion going to take um, any comments. Um, I, I guess you could have gone in all sorts of different directions. Um, on the one hand, um, Jesus is pretty strong on worry and anxiety, isn't he? Um, do not worry is what he says here, and we'll look at these verses in a little bit more detail in a second. Um, it is his instruction. Um, and you might think about some of the remarkable things that happens in the, in the Gospel accounts. I'm, I'm always struck by um, that episode in Mark chapter 4. Do you remember with the, with the disciples in the boat and the storm comes and the, you know, seasoned sailors and all that and they're, they're worried that they're going to die, the storm is so bad um, and they, they wake Jesus up and he stills the storm. And then, do you remember, he says to them, why were you so afraid? Do you have no faith? Has that ever struck you as an extraordinary thing to say? I mean, well, Jesus, we thought we were about to die. Um, you know, we thought we were going to drown. It's not a nice way to die. Um, are you telling us we weren't supposed to be? You know, I mean, not afraid at all. It's, 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 he's very strong, isn't he, um, in, in an episode like that? As if fearlessness, even in the face of imminent death, is something that could be anticipated. So maybe the speaker was right. You know, worry's bad, anxiety forbidden. Um, only look at these words from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he says, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Or, or how about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where Paul, speaking of, of people who are uh, married or unmarried, says the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the world, how to be holy in body and spirit. So, so here's Paul, the Apostle Paul, um, expressing anxiety himself and, and commending anxiety. Um, good thing to be anxious about the things of the Lord, commending anxiety um, in other people. So as if some kind of anxieties are okay. Um, to, to, to wit, let me tell you a story. Um, some years ago, um, my, Beth and I, my wife and I, we, um, we were having a little road trip um, in, in the States, and we'd flown in, and I keep getting this wrong, I can't remember if it was... Memphis or Phoenix. It was somewhere anyway. Um, and then, we, and then we, were, we were picking up a hired car there and we were going um, to drive to Los Angeles. And 
it went like this. We, we arrived, it was quite late, and we arrived at the airport, and we went down to get the hired car. And, and the bloke giving out the hired car said, um, oh, they're all down there. Um, choose anyone from row M onwards. Weird. All the keys are in the car, and you just, you just go and pick one. So, um, so we went down, and anyway, about an hour later, we're driving on this interstate, uh, sort of out of wherever it was, Phoenix or Memphis or somewhere, um, heading, heading to Los Angeles. And I'm worrying. Um, and I'm worrying that maybe I chose the wrong car. You know, it's just really bothering me. I'm thinking, I don't know if this is the best one. I think that, that, other, that might have been nicer. I'm re- ooh, ooh. And, and, and it's, I'm just completely preoccupied with this thought that, that we, I could have chosen a much better car, and it's really bothering me. Now, alongside me, um, in the passenger seat, Beth is also worrying. She is worrying about how we are going to care well for Will and Kelly Ross uh, in the hospital in Los Angeles, whose eldest son has just about to have surgery for a brain tumor. Um, And she's worrying about how we'll care for them well, what we'll say when we get there. See, See, some things are worth worrying about, aren't they? And some things aren't. So, so we could wrap things up at this point. Um, there we are, that's easy. You know, be more like Beth and less like Steve. Um, that's done. Quick, quick, quick evening. Um, but you get my point. I mean, that, that not all worries are equal. That there are some things that are worth worrying about and some things that are not. And in a sense, that's kind of where Jesus is taking us um, here in Luke chapter 12. Now, so, so we're going to look at this passage um, and take from it um, some, some lessons about engaging with our experiences of anxiety. Um, I, I want to say a couple of things before we, before we get into these verses, though. Um, the first is to say that there are lots of practical steps. We're, we're going to think about a little bit of, of, of engagement with the Lord um, and our way of hearing from Him and engaging with Him Uh, that is relevant to anxiety, Uh, but we are embodied souls, Um, and there are all sorts of bodily things that are relevant. Um, And you'll you'll know this, you know that um, at times reducing caffeine, um, or getting some exercise, or making sure your sleep patterns are better, um, all of those things uh, can be hugely relevant uh, to our anxiety. Um, I also want to acknowledge before we dip into this that we start in different places. Um, we're, all, we're all different, um, both uh, temperamentally, uh, you'll know this if you've, if you've had children, you know, almost from the get-go um, you detect a different sort of personality or temperament um, even in a, in a baby in their first year of life. We're just we're made differently. And then, of course, we have different experiences. Different things happen to us in life. And all of those things uh, weigh into uh, where we find ourselves in relation to anxiety. And I I just want to make that clear before we go. Um, But specifically, I I want us to to see what Jesus has to say here. And I've got four kind of perspectives um, that that I think Jesus would, um, would point us towards. 
the context for this chapter I think is really important. Uh, Jesus has been teaching about the perils of wealth. Uh, if you, you've got it open, page 1044. Then you notice earlier on, before, uh, the bit before Olaf read, um, someone in verse 13 has said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And that acts as a trigger for Jesus to talk about the perils of wealth. Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Um, and then he tells the, the, the famous story about the rich fool um, who, whose life is, um, draws to a close one night. And you fool, who now will have all that you prepared for yourself? Um, so I think that context is important, kind of, kind of preoccupation with material things. And Jesus says in that context, verse 22, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Um, and here's the first perspective, a right perspective on life. It's, it's really strong, this, isn't it? Don't, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll wear. He's not going after our kind of Caribbean holiday or, or our stock market portfolio. You know, he's not saying, don't, don't worry about those. He's saying, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you wear or what you eat. And in the context of a sort of cost of living crisis where people are worrying about these kind of things, it's very striking. It is as if Jesus is saying to us, look, if your attitude to life has been somehow reduced down to keeping it going, then you have to have got it wrong. Because there is more to life. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothes. And, and if somehow your view of what life is is just sustaining it, um, then you're shortchanging yourself. And you need to expand your vision of what life is all about. Now, of course, in a sense, we know that. We know that life is more than just sort of keeping it ticking over. Um, and if you're a Christian believer tonight, then you, you, your professed faith is you know that you are you're living for the Lord. But of course, again and again, we forget that perspective. Um, it, it sort of it slides out of our, our functional way of operating, and that's where anxiety kicks in, because. Anxiety is really closely connected with desire. Um, what we want, really want, and what we get anxious about are almost like two sides of the same coin. Um, think, think about it, and again, I'm going to do this too quickly, but if, if you desire comfort and ease, then you can see how anxiety will come when people are making demands of you. If, you. if you want people to like you, then anxiety will tend to cluster around situations where you might fear you're going to upset somebody or where you've got to manage a conflict of some sort because you don't like that. You like to keep everybody happy. And so having to manage a conflict is really difficult for you. Or um, let's suppose you're someone who, who really likes to have things um, kind of under control and ordered and sorted. Um, 
Well, for you, then anxiety is going to build whenever we find that we can't get our own way, whenever things start to spin out of control. Um, and that's when it starts to feel a bit scary. Or let's suppose that you're someone who, who really desires success. Well, then any kind of situation where you fear failure uh, could be the trigger for anxiety. Uh, a job application, an exam, or, or just preparing an evening meal because you feel like it's got to be brilliant uh, can be enough to, to, to kick in the anxiety. You could say that our anxieties reveal our allegiances. They show what it is that we really love, what our hearts are tethered to, so that where we become anxious is where we fear that we're not going to get this thing that we really want, or somebody's going to take it away from us, this thing that we really want. Um, we become anxious about the thing that we are preoccupied with. Um, to tomorrow night, as we, as we think a little bit about sanctification, um, one of the key things we're going to need to think about is how do we get better at noticing what our hearts are tethered to? Because all of us have hearts tethered to, 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 to things other than God at times. Um, we're all prone to that. To some degree, people who... Um, have a sort of high level of anxiety, have the advantage of kind of having a sort of an alert mechanism um, that makes it obvious um, that, that something's sort of slightly awry. Um, and that can be a real advantage because it's sort of, it's like a sort of a, a warning flashlight. Um, those of us who don't do much anxiety, uh, kind of quite chilled, can be completely blind uh, to the things that may be dominating our hearts. Okay, so first, um, a right perspective uh, on life. Uh, and, then, and then second, a right perspective on God. Uh, let me read from verse 24. Uh, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable... You are than birds. Now, now, ravens, or it might even be crows, um, aren't the most splendid of birds. They're, they're scavengers um, living off uh, roadkill. Um, yet, says Jesus, uh, can't you see how God feeds even them? Even grubby, unpleasant scavengers. So how could you possibly imagine he wouldn't feed you? And it's not as though the ravens contribute to the process. No sowing of seed, no building of storerooms, nothing. And yet God still feeds them. So of course he'll do it for you. Do you see, it's a sort of how much more argument that Jesus is developing here. Look at the birds. Take a look at the world around you. See how God cares for his creation. If he does that for birds, of course he'll do it for you. You're much more important. Uh, and then a second illustration. Uh, verse 27. Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. That's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. How much more will he clothe you, 
you of little faith. Um, moving out of the vicarage, um, whatever was it, uh, 11, no, nearly, nearly a year ago, um, there, there are various things that I miss, um, and one of them um, are the flag irises in the garden. They were, they were just my favorite flower. They are just stunning. I mean, they're just lovely, lovely flowers. Um, but the thing is, they are there for about five minutes. I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, they sort of, they blossom and they're glorious, and then you, and then you sort of get up the next morning, and they're sort of all rather disappointing, and it's time to sort of snip them and shove them in the compost. Um, beautiful, but they just don't last. Um, and, and the point Jesus is making is this. If, if God makes flowers as stunning as this, even though they're only around for a few minutes and then they're going to be thrown into the fire, um, again, how much more will he clothe you? Are you of little faith? It's the same how much more argument. What, the point that Jesus is driving at in these verses then is to say that when we worry, we're behaving rather like orphans. We're living as if heaven were empty, as if there were no loving Heavenly Father committed to taking care of us. And it's not true. Um, it, it, those, those, of, um, those of you who um, are parents, you will, um, I wonder if you've ever reflected on how strange it is that children have the capacity to get so intensely anxious um, and then so rapidly and so profoundly calmed. It's a sort of it's an extraordinary sort of range, um, particularly in a young child. So um, think think of a child having a nightmare, sort of that intense dread, and they're, they're shrieking and terrified, um, and mum or dad sort of whizzes down to their bedroom um, and scoops them up um, and says, "Hush, hush now. It's all right. I'm here. It's all right. Quiet now." And wonderfully one of the best bits of being a parent. Wonderfully, they sort of they settle and calm uh, in your arms and you feel sort of rather marvellous. Now, <laughs> when Jesus here is saying, do not worry, I don't think it's a command. So I don't think my speaker, to go back to that original conference I was telling you about, I don't think he was getting it right. I don't think it's a command like do not seal. I think when Jesus says do not worry, it's much more like the picture of swooping us up into his arms and saying, hush, hush now. I'm here, I have you. Don't worry. I think, it's, I think that's the tone of it. He's trying to say, don't you understand how you're loved? Don't you understand how I care for you? Don't you understand how I love you? Hush now. Don't worry. Right perspective on life. Uh, right perspective on God. Uh, and then third, a right perspective on ourselves. Um, maybe you noticed in moving from the, uh, the, the ravens to the flowers, uh, I missed out verses 25 and uh, 26. So let's go back to those. Let me read those. Who of you by worrying, can add a single hour to your life. 
since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? I just love this from Jesus. Because um, in a sense, having sort of bigged us up um, by telling us you know, how much more important you are than birds, how much more is God love you and going to clothe you gloriously than the flowers, you know, he sort of puffed us up and sort of told us just how much we are loved and cared for. He then, poof, uh, really brings us back down to size by reminding us just how much we can't do. He's saying, in effect, here, look, who do you think you are? You can't add so much as a single hour to your life. And if you can't do something as small and insubstantial as that, just 60 minutes more to your lifespan, if you're not capable of managing that, then what are you doing worrying about everything else? I mean, have you not sort of worked out just how incapable you actually are? I mean, it, I think that's the tone of it. It's, it's kind of sort of trying to say, listen, when you begin to think that you are capable of more than you really are, it all gets a bit scary because you overreach. Get yourself in proportion, Jesus seems to be saying. Um, you, you don't even really know what's going to happen this afternoon. I mean, not really. I mean, you, you don't know whether, I mean, we're coming up to six o'clock. I mean, you don't know whether this talk is going to finish soon or not. You're not in control. So nothing in the future is known to us, not really, and we're not, we're not in control of it. And when we imagine that we are, when we imagine that we can organize life and be in control of life and have things just as we want it, then we're overreaching and we lead ourselves into all sorts of anxiety by trying to be in control of things that we're not really in control of, trying to be somebody that we're not. In other words, if we allow ourselves to get big uh, and that God becomes small, anxiety kicks in because we are drawing to ourselves things that rightly belong to God, a control, uh, over life. Um, and when we get ourselves back to our proper size uh, and we recall again uh, the glory and the greatness and the ruling control of our Lord, uh, anxiety shrinks because we can place things into His hands. Uh, we can trust Him with the things that are His responsibility. Because there's lots that is utterly outside our control. And that brings us to a final right perspective, which is a right perspective on the kingdom. Um, middle of verse, no, verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus ends this section of teaching by, by kind of returning to where he began, by reminding us about right desires, about the, the treasures that we pursue. And the question, therefore, to be asked again and again is, where is our treasure? And therefore, where is our heart? 
what are we pursuing? What treasure have we set our hearts on? Uh, Olaf in his prayers uh, reminding us of that, that parable of the, uh, the person who found the treasure in the field, sold everything um, to have that. Again, if you're, if you're a Christian believer tonight, you know the right answer. You know what you're supposed to have as your treasure. You know what's supposed to be most important to you. Uh, you know that pursuit of God, pursuit of his kingdom, that, that that is what you profess to be and what ought to be your highest priority. Uh, but if someone watched our days, if someone saw how you use your time, where you spend your money, where your energies are given, what would they see? What, what, what treasure would they say is actually dominating our waking hours? It's a, it's a kind of slightly scary question to ask, isn't it? Uh, which I guess, now I come to think about it, is it's just the point. Because some things are worth worrying about. Which is why in verse 31 Jesus says, Seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Real contentment, real peace, everything that we can ever need is to be found here in the pursuit of the kingdom of God. Uh, and even that's not quite right, is it? Because do you notice the language of verse 32? Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. It's set in the past tense. Jesus is saying, it's done. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The kingdom is ours. Grace is the driver for the Christian life. An awareness of the gift of God to us, that he gives us, a part in his kingdom. Uh, and our seeking the kingdom is only ever a response to his initiative in giving. So there they are, four, um, four right perspectives, four truths that if, if, we, if we would absorb them, if we would take them to heart uh, and really believe them, uh, would speak to our anxious hearts. Now, we're going to have some time for some comments and, and questions in a moment, but before that, I, I want to say something that is possibly the most important thing I'm going to say tonight, which is I would hate you to think that I think that this is easy. I'd hate, hate you to imagine that, that you know, those of us, and I include myself in this, those of us who you know, are... People, people aware of a, a battle with anxiety are in some way kind of just sort of, you know, oh, it, it, you just sort it out, you know, just believe these things and you soon be, soon be it's, it's not easy. I'm not, I don't think it's easy. I don't believe it's easy. Um, people differ. Um, some people don't care enough. Some people have a, an inadequate level of anxiety 
and they're too laid back, they're too unaffected um, by stuff going on in their lives. So, you know, know that there are errors all over the place in, in the living of the Christian life. Um, and if you are somebody um, who is aware of, of the battles and the struggles with anxiety, please don't think that I imagine that it is easy to apply these things. But it is good. Uh, and it is a precious treasure. And, and in a sense, the, the work that I am now doing with Biblical Counseling UK, with BC UK, is, is all about helping us get better at sort of drilling these things down into our hearts. Because it's, it's a long and difficult process which we all need help with. Um, and how we can get better at, at taking these truths and making sure they don't just rest lightly on the surface so that we can, we can recite them, but they really do begin to penetrate our hearts and make a difference uh, to uh, the living of life, make a difference to our experience of anxiety and fear. And wh why don't I say a prayer that we'd be a community who, who does that better and better um, and, um, and then I'm going to just get you to do a little bit of talking again together. Let me pray first. Um, Father God, we, we thank you for this teaching of Jesus, so, um, so penetrating, uh, so challenging. Um, just in the way that Jesus, because he knows us, he knows what's in a person, um, uh, discerns and detects um, the, the workings uh, of the human heart. And uh, we thank you, therefore, that, that your word um, does penetrate uh, and challenge and expose and comfort uh, and encourage. Uh, and we pray that it would be doing all of those things. And we pray that um, as a community, as brothers and sisters together in Christ, we would get better and better at taking these uh, rich and wonderful truths and helping uh, them to... Uh, to, to press deeply uh, into our lives and our experiences uh, that we would please you more and more. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, here's, we're not too bad on time. So I think what we'll do is, um, why not just, what, what was striking? Was anything fresh, anything that puzzles you? Um, either think on your own or, again, just chat to somebody next to you. Um, I never went back to my five people at the beginning. Um, not time for that, but maybe one of them is, is puzzling you and you're thinking, how does this work with one of them? But anyway, just, just take a few minutes, either think on your own or chat with somebody else next to you, and then we'll just see if there are one or two comments or questions um, as we wrap up. Um, yeah. Let, let's just take a few minutes then to... Um, uh, th then there may be... Um, some of you may have spotted things that I've missed, um, and I'd uh, love, to, love to hear those. Um, don't promise to be able to answer questions, but if there are those, I'll, I'll have a go or find somebody else wise. So any, there, may, there may not be anything. It's always tricky speaking in a, in a large gathering. Causes you to become quite anxious, really, doesn't it, when you come to think about it? Um, so um, there may not be, but if, if you want to wave a hand in the air, Lewis looks as though he's loitering with a microphone. I'm just going to keep sort of waffling for a little while just to see if anyone does wave a hand in the air. And if not, then I'll stop waffling a little bit and uh, hand over to Scott, who will do some more waffling. Uh, any, any sort of comments, thoughts? No. 
all quiet on the Western Front. Roz. Oh, Roz and then David. Uh, start, start with Roz. Saw her hand first, like an auctioneer. If, if there aren't questions from people, could you tell us how you would um, talk to one of those five people that you mentioned at the beginning? Because um, that would be good to know. Slowly, I think, is the, is the key thing. Um, so the, 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 I think one of, one of the things I was wrestling with um, is giving a talk kind of feels like that the, the, all you need to do is just sort of dollop this information on somebody. And, and it can, it can, the, the implication can, can be that, oh, well, you know, that's what you do. You know, somebody comes along and says, you know, one of those five people says they're feeling anxious. And so, you know, right, right. You know, and you sort of dollop these, the, this, this truth on them. Um, and I think that's, that's the thing about kind of personal ministry of the word. It needs to be personal. I need to listen to you carefully enough and thoroughly enough to do two things. One, to really understand what's going on for you. Um, and second, um, to get to the point where you are persuaded that I really care about you. Um, because once those two things are in place, um, then, and that might be weeks and weeks and months and months, then I might be in a place for the two of us together to, to look at particular things that God might have to say to us. Um, because uh, otherwise... I mean, it's, it's a funny thing. The same verse spoken at the beginning of a, of a kind of a friendship can land really badly. And yet that same verse spoken sort of months later, once the relationship is well established and, and real understanding, can be like balm to the soul. Um, so there's a, there's a big issue of timing um, in personal ministry of the word. Thanks for the question. Anything, um, Hannah, um, and, and then David. In your five people, you didn't mention like just general anxiety disorder, so perhaps someone who's anxious but not really about anything specific. Is that because in your experience, you know, there is, through those weeks and months, that sort of person, if we want to categorize them, is actually anxious about something that they haven't perhaps identified? Um. No, I don't think so necessarily. Um, I think, in a sense, I was kind of alluding to that by saying, you know, we 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 seem to be made with different temperaments, and there are some people who do just sort of, you know, have quite a uh, high threshold, low threshold. I don't know what I quite mean, but you know, where where anxiety is a prominent experience across a whole range of things. I guess I didn't include somebody like that because, um, you know, kind of where it's more specific in some way. Um, it's just a bit easier to describe, but but I think um, yeah I think no I think the, the experience you're describing is yeah um, is a real one. David, are you still after a question? Yeah. Uh, the microphone's coming to you. Thanks. Okay, just one objection I've sometimes heard. How do we respond when? Jesus says, don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or what you'll wear. And you get the response of, yeah, but I see Christians starving. I see Christians in famine countries who can't survive because they're not being fed properly. How can he actually say, don't worry about things like that? Or again, is that because it's not a command, it's a principle? 
Yeah, thank you. Um, an excellent uh, comment and question uh, to pose. I, I think the, the point is the attitude that you bring to him, um, which, which doesn't negate the, the trying to, to solve the need for food or clothing uh, to deal with a, you know, with a crisis, um, to respond to a humanitarian disaster um, with practical aid. Um, I think tucked into that is the question, what, what attitude exists between you and me? Um, and I think what he's, what he's chipping away at is, is a wrong way of thinking. Um, life is more than these things. Uh, so I think that's how the two would go together. Um, we're going to go for one more. Um, keep you going, Lewis. Much, Steve. I was just wondering if you could speak into, um, we've obviously talked about the spiritual causes of anxiety, but where that fits with physical causes and where seeking, um, you know, seeking to resolve some of the spiritual issues that might be at the root of that, how that relates to seeking medical support as well. Oh, we could, we could do a lot on that, um, but we're not going to. Um, I, I think, how would I try and do that quickly? Um, so I made, a, I made a sort of passing reference to the idea of, of us being embodied souls. Um, the, the Bible seems to, to want to describe us as the inner person and the outer person. Um, the, the heart, which is the Bible's most typical way of describing the, the kind of the real me inside. And then the physical frame, the body, in which God places me. Um, and um, we need to attend to both. Um, but we need not to separate those two. Um, we are finally a person. Um, and any sort of awareness that, that we have a kind of a, a soul, the sort of the, the inner person and an outer physical frame is, is helpful, but it mustn't obscure the fact that we're a single person. Um, and it's not either or. Um, it will be attending to, to both of those. Um, and I think it's, it's unhelpful to kind of um, to, to try and think, you know, is, is there a spiritual cause here or is there a physical cause? I think that kind of sharp sort of division um, is unhelpful. There will always be both. Um, I'm going to hand back to Scott. Well, and invite the band to come up and draw our time to a close. I, I love that picture. Yeah, a wonderful picture, isn't it, of, of being wrapped up in God's arms uh, and him saying to us, don't worry, uh, as he holds us close, a father uh, to a child. It's such a beautiful thing. And we're going we're gonna to sing a song now. It's a, it's a lush song. It's beautiful. It really is. Uh, that kind of pictures that, that tells us about that. Uh, I'm just going to read some uh, words that we're about to sing. Gentle and lowly, patient and kind. No other saviour like Jesus I find, though my heart changes, yours never does. Ever unchanging compassion and love. That's the Lord Jesus. That's the one who holds us. And so let's stand and sing those words together now. <laughs>